And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Thank you. You might be seated. And if you would take your Bible again to John chapter 1. And we're going to talk about something very important for just a few moments. The Gospel of John, for those who might not be aware, and and uh, we need to understand when we come together corporately like we are today on a Sunday morning or any other time as far as that goes, we have people in the congregation who have been reading their Bible and praying and following Jesus and going to Sunday school for decades. So they understand some things probably that maybe some others do not, maybe who've just come to Christ recently. So for that reason, I need to point out a couple of things. Uh, as you turn to the Gospel of John, the very first page, you'll look at the top of your Bible, probably it says the Gospel according to John. Well, John was an apostle. He's one of the disciples of our Lord. And that John had a brother named James, and they were fishermen, and they were called by the Lord to be disciples. And John later, um, after... After Jesus had had been ascended to heaven and all that we've been singing about, John at some point later wrote this gospel, the gospel according to John, who was an eyewitness of many of the things that Jesus did and saw him, but he wrote that later. John, one of Jesus' disciples. But in John chapter 1, there's another John that's mentioned, and he's just called John. There's no title assigned to his name in most of those places. And and you need to understand that the one that John is talking about in John chapter 1 is who we call John the Baptist. He's a different John. So as we read this and talk about this this morning, that will be helpful perhaps to some and maybe even redundant to others. But I wanted to clarify that just for the sake of your understanding. So we're going to read now verses 19 through 36 of John chapter 1. It's going to be talking about John the Baptist. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Here's his answer. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. I'd like for you to make a mental note, so I won't have to come back and read it again, that he, John the Baptist, is quoting the book of Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, those who were sent from, were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? 
John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. You may have noticed that on this table in the center, there is a lamb. And on the head of that lamb, there is a little dove. Which is exactly what the Bible describes for us that that John the Baptist witnessed. It wasn't a lamb, literally, that the dove lit upon. It was the Lamb of God. But Jesus is recognized and called by John the Baptist, the Lamb of God. Very important. Now, if we went in our Bibles all the way back into the Old Testament, for instance, all the way back to Exodus chapter 12, we'll read where the Passover was instituted. We'll read where the Lord said, take a lamb for a house, slay that lamb, Put the blood on the doorpost of each house and everybody who does that will be spared from a terrible plague that's coming throughout all Egypt. The firstborn in every house is going to die this night. But if you'll do what I tell you, the Lord says, you slay this lamb, you put its blood on the doorpost. The blood on that doorpost will make a difference in your household and the plague will not visit you. Sure enough, that's exactly what happened. They were obedient. They put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. The death angel came through that evening. And all of those who did what the Lord had said were spared. The blood made the difference. Amen? And that was looking forward to a time when the lamb of God was going to come for the sins of the whole world. Now, a few moments ago, I mentioned that um, John the Baptist was familiar with and had quoted from the book of Isaiah. I believe that's not the only passage from Isaiah that John the Baptist was familiar with. I believe he was also familiar with John 53, which, excuse me, Isaiah 53, which I'd like to share with you. Just listen to these words. They're familiar to us. He is despised and rejected by men. 
a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Somebody tell me who it's talking about. It's talking about Jesus, the coming of the Messiah, the Lamb of God. It's talking about Jesus. So verse 4 says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. We didn't understand what was going on. But verse 5 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. If you've ever gone astray, would you say amen? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that is on Jesus, the iniquity and the sin of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to crush him. He has put him to grief, to grief when you shall make his soul an offering for sin. And on it goes. This very involved passage in Isaiah about the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, who is to come. John the Baptist and I have something in common. We're both PKs. You all know what a PK is? preacher's kid. I'm going to take a little liberty with that PK. John the Baptist was a priest's kid. His dad was a priest. The Bible says about Zachariah and Elizabeth that it explains how that they were very godly people, very committed, dedicated, solid, committed to the Lord. And they certainly, certainly taught their son the word of God, which would explain why John the Baptist knew the other passage and this passage and would look at Jesus with divine help and say, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then the next day to say it again, look, there he is. It's the son of God, the one he did not know before. He didn't recognize that he was the son of God before, but the Lord had said, whoever you see, When you baptize them, this dove come from heaven and light upon them, then you'll know that's the son of God. So John the Baptist is sure he's standing on solid ground. He has proof that what he thinks is right. This is the son of God that takes away the sin of the world. We have that represented here. Everything on this table today represents Jesus. As a matter of fact, today it's all about Jesus for us. In this service. It's all about Jesus. So. We're going to sing a a song now. The Lamb of God. To help us focus on who Jesus is. And what he came to do. Right where you're seated. Would you meditate? Would you worship? I, I, I just. Listen. It is not an accident. That you have your children seated with you today. It's not an accident. This is deliberate. A a lot of times we do communion and we get the kids out. Our kids need to see communion. They need to know what this is about.
They need to understand that Jesus came to forgive our sins. And when he does that, we don't need to ever forget it. We need to be reminded, which is about what this is all about. It's a reminder, a memorial, something that causes us to go back and remember how lost we were and now how saved we are. And it's all because of Jesus. So would you think, this is not just singing. This is ministry as we let these words speak to us. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 40, and many other passages in the Old Testament had to say. And all the sacrifices that had been offered, the many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them, all pointing forward to Jesus, we should not be surprised that this John the Baptist, this forerunner, this messenger of our Lord would have come and when he saw Jesus one day said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Three years later, this, as Jesus was beginning his ministry then, when John the Baptist made that declaration, three years later, 
Jesus sat down at a table one night to celebrate the Passover, which was going back to the Old Testament. It was a Jewish celebration. They celebrate it every year, still do today, in fact. And when Jesus sat down with his disciples to celebrate the Passover with them, he redefined things. See, he was the fulfillment of everything that had been taking place to begin with. He was the Lamb of God, really. The Bible says it was impossible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. But Jesus, one time, on the altar, on the cross, being offered for us, he has forever perfected them who come to him and who are sanctified. Thank God for that. Amen. Amen. That's an awesome thing. So, we have this admonition from the Lord Jesus that night when he looked at his disciples and he said, take this bread and eat it. This is my body, which is broken for you and take this cup and drink it. It's the new covenant in my blood. I want to stop just a minute because there's so many things involved in the Lord's supper and what it really speaks to us about and what it says that we miss it. If we're not careful, the Bible says that Jesus took the bread and did what? He broke it. Now, they didn't buy uh, bunny bread or some of those others that were already sliced and ready to hand out, make sandwiches and all that. It, it would have been in a big piece, in a, in a loaf. Probably not exactly like this, but for illustrative purposes, and that's about all food line had, that's what I've got. <laughs> but I can make the point with it, okay? The Bible says they took the bread and he did what? Broke. Now, right now... Is it one or two or three or four? When you look at it, what is it? It's one. But then he took the bread and broke it. And then began to pass it. He says, I am the bread of life. In the gospel of John. He represents all that we have and can ever be in Christ. It comes through Jesus, the Lamb of God. And the bread of life. But he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to them and they all partook of it. I don't want us to lose the fact that it's one bread. That's very important. Because those of us who know Jesus, we're part of the one body. Right? We're not scattered crumbs and fragments all over the place. We're part of the body. The bread Of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a tremendous lesson there about unity. There's a tremendous lesson there about we're all the, we're all the same. We're, we're sinners in need of a savior. We've all been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. We've been made one in Christ. The Bible, we're one body and members in particular. The, The Bible gives so many, so many metaphors and illustrations of that, but it all goes back to we're one in him. That's why Christians used to a whole lot of times, used to about all the time it was brother so and so and sister so and so. I think as a reminder to to let us know we're connected. We're brothers and sisters. But they took the bread and they broke it. Now here's something else that's really easy for us to lose sight of because of the way we do communion nowadays. And I'm not complaining about the way we do communion nowadays. I just want to make this observation 
Does the Bible says that Jesus took the cups and passed them around or they took the cup? One cup. One cup. One cup. Now, you probably don't want me to pass this around and all of us drink from it today. And I'm not going to do that because here we have many cups filled and ready to go. But you know what? We lose something, don't we? Yes. Visually. In, in the way we do it nowadays, in as much as when they did it, they knew. When Jesus said, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is the blood of the new testament. Which was shed for you. For the remission of your sins. Well, when you start all drinking from the same cup. There's a lesson there, visually, that's... We don't want to lose it. So I wanted to highlight that today. Listen, if you are a born-again Christian today and saved by the blood of the Lamb and have repented of your sins, I want you to know we're one together. Amen? Yes. We're one. We're brothers and sisters. Part of the same body. The same family. Of course, the contents of the cups, just the fruit of the vine, represented by the grapes here. Incidentally, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Jesus is pleased when you... Bear fruit, he says. The Father's pleased when you bear fruit, when you bear much fruit, Jesus said. So that's a visual that we have there. So in just a few moments, we're going to begin to, I'll uncover this now that we're about ready. We have little oyster crackers here representing the unleavened bread already ready for you to take. And we have the cups here already prepared and filled and and ready. Everything's nice and clean. Been taken care of in preparation for this. And I want us to just, for just a few moments, think about how important it is for us to do this with the right spirit and the right attitude. In a few minutes, we're going to sing an old song. It's such an old song, it was a new song to everybody. We had to learn it. But it says, let us break bread together on our knees. Let us break bread together on our knees. When I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun, oh Lord, have mercy on me. At some point in all of our lives, there's been a time when we had to look up to the Lord and say, Lord, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Please forgive me of my sins. You can't go before the Lord in pride and repent at the same time, right? We have to humble ourselves. Humility, recognizing that what this is about. That's why when we observe the Lord's Supper, we don't laugh and we don't joke and we don't, we don't make it a boisterous type of thing. Because we're talking about it. somebody died for us. Somebody shed their blood for us. Somebody endured their body being broken and and spear in the side and crown of thorns. And oh, what Jesus did for us was awesome, amazing, wonderful. If we're not careful, we forget it. And Jesus himself said, as oft as you do this... You do it in remembrance of me. Just like with the Passover, the Jews are supposed to 
rehearse that even before their children, the Bible says, so they will know and will never forget. And when it comes to the new covenant, those of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and have accepted the benefits of his shed blood, then we receive that and are so happy for what the Lord has done for us. So we're going to sing this song together. And as we do, we're going to invite you to come. I'm, I'm going to solicit some help. Please, Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us to be honest with you. Forgive us our sins, our iniquities. Convict us of anything in our hearts and lives that's unlike you. And then, Lord, we say, with the grace that you supply, we'll move forward. Not return to those things again. But walk in a way that's pleasing in your sight. We'll hide our, your word in our hearts. Lord, that we might not sin against you. Speak to us, we pray. The words of the Apostle Paul, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. At this time, if you would take that piece of bread representing the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and in obedience to him and remembrance of him and what he's done let's eat that together in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's drink the cup. Jesus. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your body that was broken for us. Thank you for salvation, for forgiveness of sins, that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, that we're on our way to heaven. We're children of God, part of the body of Christ. We belong to you, and we thank you. 
thank you for your mercy and for your grace. We celebrate your goodness in our lives and the fact that we are Christians and we are thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would take your empty cup now and just pass it toward the center aisle. And those who are on the center, just hold those cups because in a few moments we'll be receiving our morning offering and they'll be picked up at that time. Thank you so much. As Christians, we have reason to rejoice. Amen. You look at the cross and you look at what Jesus did for us and that's a sober, solemn, sacred, holy, thought-provoking thing. But then when you look at what he's done for us and what it means in our lives, the Bible says we're supposed to rejoice for what he's done for us. So would you stand with us now as we continue and uh, as we as we sing The ushers are going to come and wait on the congregation and the offering. And they're also going to be someone picking up the cups at the same time. So we're doing a lot of things. We're changing gears, receiving the offering, picking up the cups. The children are being dismissed. The children are all at the same time. But you're so good you can handle it. Let's do it together, shall we? Let's sing. Oh, my God. 
share with you now part two of the sermon, which is not as long as part one, so you can relax. Um, once the Lord saves us, well, let's say it this way. He didn't shed his blood and his body wasn't broken for us so that we stayed the same when we got saved. Am I right? Coming to Christ is about transformation or being changed. When we come to Christ, we get changed. Things are not like they were. That's why the Bible says old things have, and all things have become, exactly. That's why the Bible says, do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You think differently than you used to think. When you think differently, that means you act differently. Amen? Amen. So when we come to Christ, we are transformed. That's why we say we've been born again. It's like going from the womb to the world. It's a change. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's, we become babes in Christ. We become um, children of God all of a sudden and things in our lives are changing. So there should be some transformation. So in just a moment, I'm going to talk about transformation in the life of John. Not John the Baptist. Now we're done with John the Baptist for today. Let me put in a shameless plug here for Bible study Wednesday night. We'll be back on him. 
probably Wednesday night with a lot of other good stuff in the Gospel of John. But now, we've been talking about John the Baptist and what he did and saw the Lamb of God. Now we're, we're putting John the Baptist to the side. Now we're talking about John, the disciple, who was the writer of this Gospel. I'm going to talk to you this morning very briefly about what happened in his life. But before we do, I want to share with you that if we're weak, if we're failing, if we're struggling... We need to sometimes change our mindset and understand that nothing's too hard for God. Listen, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. Your past doesn't matter at this point when you turn to Christ as far as to how successful you can be in being a Christian. Because God's got the power to help you to overcome. We're living in a world where addiction is a big problem. God is bigger than addictions. Any addiction, I don't care what they are. He's bigger than that. So when you look at your life, and it may be hard for you to separate yourself from your past. It may be that other people won't let you separate yourself from your past. But I'm going to tell you what's important is what you do in your mind and in your heart. You can't control other people. But Jesus says when your sins have been forgiven and washed away. The Bible teaches us it's like he cast them into the sea of God's forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west, the Bible says, so far he has removed our sins from us when we come to Christ and are forgiven. And then we are transformed. We, we, we have our lives changed. Some people think because now that they've come to Christ, they can't do it right because of their past. The past doesn't matter now. It's time to move forward from that. So with that thought in mind, we're going to sing this next song right where you're seated. Helps us get the right mindset. I may be weak, but I'm going to say I'm strong because God says I'm strong. How many of you feel like you could whip the devil? Not often, right? But the Bible says you can. And sometimes we have to say what the Bible says. We have to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Bible says, I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loved us. Right? We, we don't we don't go around whining because we we're gonna be defeated all the time. We look to God because He's stronger than we are. Let me tell you this little story. When I was very young, my dad took me get a Christmas help us get a Christmas tree one day. We went to the woods. I don't remember how old I was. But dad and myself went into the woods to get a Christmas tree. Incidentally, today's his birthday, 81. And I will love. And it wouldn't matter if he was 18. He couldn't do today what he did then. And you'll understand when I tell you. But we went in the woods looking for a Christmas tree. And we found one that was just perfect. Except it was the top of a cedar. It wasn't the whole tree. It was the top. So we looked at that tree and. And I agreed, or he probably agreed with me because he's probably letting me pick out the tree. We that That's it up there in the top of that tree. He said, well, can you climb up there and saw the tree in half? Of course, I could do anything. So I grabbed this hand saw or whatever it was we had, some type of saw, and I climbed up that tree. My arms were probably about as big around as a quarter at that time. And, and I was sawing and I was sawing and I was sawing and I just wasn't making much headway. I'd gone about halfway through it and I was just... I just wasn't making any headway. And dad said, throw the saw down. So I threw it down. He said, now climb on up the tree. So I went on up the tree. He said, now start rocking back and forth. 
So I started walking back and forth. And what do you think happened? The top of that tree broke out, but he caught me on the way down. He knew what he was doing. Right? He couldn't catch me today. But that's the way God is. When God tells us to do something, he knows what he's doing. When he says we can do something, we can do it because he knows. Right? So let's sing this and think about what God can do in your life if you'll start thinking right and talking right. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Let the blind say, I can see. It's what the Lord has done in me. Let's sing that again now. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Let the blind say, I can see. It's what the Lord has done in me. Hosanna, Hosanna. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says about him. The Bible says 
He was a fisherman and he was mending his nets when he was called to be a disciple. The Bible says he's one of the sons of thunder. He and his brother James. That means they were a handful. They could tell you what was on their minds. They were strong-willed, arrogant. A lot like the apostle Peter. We hear this about Peter all the time. We don't hear as much about James and John, but their nickname was sons of thunder. They could shake things up pretty quick with their attitudes and their egos. One day they were with Jesus and the village that they went into wasn't welcoming to the Lord. And John spoke up and said, Lord, do you want me to call fire down from heaven and burn them all up? What a Christ-like spirit. And the Lord said, no, you don't know what spirit you're of. Now we're talking about John now. James and John came to Jesus on another occasion and they said, Lord, we want to sit on either side of you when you set up your kingdom. Let John sit on the left, let me sit on the right or vice versa, it don't matter. But just let us sit there right side by side with you when you're on your throne. How arrogant. And Jesus let them know that they weren't able to do what they thought they were able to do. But as a result of the way that James and John acted in that particular situation, the Bible says that the other ten didn't like it one bit. And there was a problem created. Because they thought they needed to be elevated at the top. Right beside Jesus, left and right. And everybody else was going to have to be a little bit farther down the totem pole than they were. Now I'm not going to ask you if you can identify with any of those things in John's life. But I'd like to bring this to your attention. If I had asked you to give me a description of the Apostle John, what do you know about John? I dare say that 90% of you would have said this. Why, he's the Apostle of love. As a matter of fact, if you Google the Apostle of love... Bang, 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 bang. There lines up sermons and all kinds of lessons about John the Apostle. He's noted as being, he talks about love all the time in the scripture. Over and over and over he talks about that. He says, a new commandment, and he's, he's recording the words of Jesus, you understand, but it's found in John's gospel. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Jesus said it, but John's the one who shared it in his gospel so we would know. John is the one who recorded these words of Jesus as well. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus said it, but John included it. In all of John's epistles, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, he talks about the need to love each other. And yes, he is called the Apostle of Love. Now, how did he get the reputation for being the Apostle of Love when he started out being a son of thunder? I'll tell you, because he spent time with Jesus. Is that a transformation? To be a son of thunder, let us sit at the top. Do you want me to call fire down from heaven? He was just like Peter was. He was mouthy and, and had an ego and spoke quickly. 
But somehow when he came to Jesus and spent time with the Lord, he was, he was what? He was transformed. He was transformed. And his attitude now was just, now he's one, the pictures you see of John, the paintings you see of John, you know what he's doing? He looks like a woman almost. He's really feminine. And they've got him laying in Jesus' lap and things like that and laying on his breast. And, and it makes him look so sissy. According to what the Bible says about him, he wasn't a sissy. He was quite a masculine, egotistical, arrogant man. Don't say anything, women. I know women think we all are that way. But you know what? You spend time with Jesus. Doesn't matter who you are and what your flaws are. Amen. Jesus can help mellow us. He can help change us. He can help remake us. That's what he did with John. And that's what he wants to do in all of our hearts and all of our lives. It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. And everything John received... He received from Jesus and the benefits of being with the master. As our closing song, we're going to sing an old hymn. Probably everybody knows this one. It's an old one. Right where you're seated. What a friend we have in Jesus. Jesus.